From Relay FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 36 for January the 24th, 2023. I am Master of Ceremonies, Jason Snell, joined as always by Director of Strategy, Julia Alexander. Hi, Julia. Hey, Jason. How you doing? Oh, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of, I don't know. There's just a lot going on. How are you? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, we'll, we'll let our listeners in on a secret. Jason and I have had a very long Tuesday already, already for him. It's 2 p.m. when we're recording this his time and it's already very busy for him. And I've had a very long day as well, but we are so excited but we're, to podcast. We're committed. We're, we're here <laughs> for you. With everything There's else like going no on. There's like no more sun in New York. Clearing out a little time. <laughs> just clearing out a little time for you, the podcast <laughs> listener. Um, I wanted to start with a little bit of follow-up. You wrote a piece for Puck, Puck.News, uh, called uh, Bob Iger's $27.5 billion Hulu question. Now, normally I take these articles that you've written for Puck and we turn them into talking points for this show. But um, I feel like in reading this, I mean, tell me... Tell me uh, if there's if there's some new facets of this to consider. But I, I was kind of tickled by reading the story because I feel like we have discussed this issue like eight times on this podcast. And it all kind of got rolled back in there into the puck piece about Hulu because this is the right because we, we have talked about it. But like it's like, what do you do if you're Bob Iger? What do you do if you're Disney? You should be buying out Hulu, but it's expensive. But you don't want your your uh, competitors to be a partner or they want to buy it, but you don't want to sell it to them necessarily. And like, given Disney's current financial state, there is this real kind of moment coming, which is what are you going to do with Hulu? And if you do buy it, do you leave it run on its own in the US? Or do you commit to do what you did internationally, which is uh, roll it into Disney Plus, essentially? So anything, you know, off the top of your head, anything new about Hulu in here that is like a new wrinkle in the last few weeks? Not necessarily in the last few weeks. I just think, um, and listeners will appreciate this, I think there's a lot that happens within streaming as it kind of becomes a dominant industry, but it's not yet. As people try to figure out what is right, what is wrong. I think a great example of Disney and Hulu is actually comparable to Netflix rolling out ads and cracking down on passwords. And we'll get more into Netflix in a bit. But yeah. but all of all of these moments of like everything that we thought we stood for five years ago, two years ago, eight months ago is now not necessarily something that we're doing because we're learning so much about it. And a, the truth of the matter is a lot of streaming is unsexy. A lot of streaming is like very boring, basic questions about amortization and like how wh wh when your principal um, finance payments are due and or debt payments rather. And, and how do you do handle all this stuff? Also trying to make really cool content that comes back to feeling very much like traditional cable and, and, and uh, broadcast television. And so it's interesting with Hulu, it's kind of the pinnacle of that. Hulu is this conversation that does not have a right or wrong answer. It has many right answers and there are many wrong answers. And you can argue this until the end of time. I do this endlessly in a chat that I have with other um, analysts and strategists in the industry. And I think it really is this $27.5 billion question or like $9 billion that Disney would have to pay up, up front. But this idea of like, do you keep Hulu and here's 10 reasons why? Or do you sell Hulu and here's 10 reasons why? And the, the bottom line is kind of like, I think personally, as we talked about in the show, you keep it. But you could list out 10 reasons why they should sell it. And that's kind of just what this never ending story is with Hulu. Hulu will be Hulu will be the story that whenever, whatever the final answer is, everyone who is wrong, including potentially myself, will be like, 
well, that makes sense. And everybody who is right will say, yep. but you can see where they're coming from on the other side. There will, there will be no grand like aha moment for Hulu. All I feel like all scenarios have been accounted for. It's just which is the one, right? Like what's the what's really happening? Yeah, and I mean, there. I, I was watching um, Kramer and all of them on Squawk on the Street this morning, as I do, uh, and they were kind of talking about how there's this, I guess, rumor. I, I haven't really heard too much about it, so take this with a grain of salt. But there's like that Iger is going to be looking for like two billion in cuts at um, on the streaming side of the equation. And again, we talked about this on the podcast, Jason and I, about this idea that when Iger comes back, he gets to actually come back with a lot of time off, a lot of conversations happening outside of Disney, a lot of um, being able to read about what was happening and talk to really smart people and kind of approach Disney streaming from a different perspective than when he was launching Disney streaming and kind of at the end of his tenure. Um, And so I think, you know, maybe there is some rationale to that rumor and also it was on CNBC and there are all those guys are really well connected. But I do think, you know, how does Hulu now fit into an Iger vision versus how did Hulu fit into an Iger vision back in 2017 and really 2016, right? right, Kind of going into that deal. How does it change now, knowing what we do know about streaming? And I think a lot of that team is still split on it, on do we buy it for $9 billion? We have, I mean, we'd be taking on some substantial debt, but it's not like we'd have to see too much leverage because we do have all these other businesses that are doing really well. I mean, at the same time, our Cable business is seeing declines, but that's still a business that we have to worry about, you know, versus Comcast. Comcast is a company that has, let's say, say hypothetically, they bought it. I don't see that happening, but let's say they bought it, right? Immediately made Peacock. Like let's brought they brought in Peacock, folded it, or brought Peacock into Hulu, folded it. You automatically have 50 million extra subscribers in the U.S. It makes you one of the biggest U- U.S. streaming platforms. Comcast has way more um, cash on hand to spend, but their debt is much higher. Also, you're looking at a lot of antitrust stuff, and so it's 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 really interesting question of like, or do you just sell off Hulu for scraps? And I think there's no scenario in which you can inevitably say that's not going to happen, and that's what makes Hulu so interesting. All right, we'll keep watching. I also wanted to you were, you did a thread that made me laugh. Uh, the Disney response to activist investor Nelson Peltz, who is one of these people. They're all over the place. They're in the tech sphere too, <laughs> where they're like, "I invested some money and I don't understand your business, but I think you should cut expenses because it'll make my stock more valuable." And and like those those people are dinks but when they're dangerous is when they actually have influence and so nelson peltz comes out and he's like he has a whole like what is it like restore the magic.com or something where he's trying to create this whole he's got his like his nephew working on a website where he can do all this stuff and then disney just comes back and says in an amazing uh uh statement nelson peltz does not understand disney's businesses and lacks the skills and experience to assist the board in delivering shareholder value in a rapidly shifting media media ecosystem with like slide after slide about how he has no idea what he's talking about and i just i don't know it was just hilarious to me to see this first off this guy covered seriously and and reading it and thinking like this guy's got no clue right right and then to see disney's response which was yeah this guy's got no clue he's he no 
he does Have you been getting the the promoted tweets on your Twitter feed from a store of the magic? I, I'm I'm not I'm not using Twitter very much anymore, but uh so I haven't seen it. I, I actually have like an ad blocker that tries to hide promoted tweets in Twitter. I I will give Jason credit. Jason has used Twitter much less, um, but his tweets are always very good because they're about Apple and they're about his work and they're always very like informative and, and I really enjoy them. And then my tweets are like, this guy is a schmuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just like really to the point is. where I'm like, I should probably not. But yeah, if, if, any, if people are listening to this and they're using Twitter to kind of follow a lot of streaming entertainment or tech news, you might see a lot of promoted ads for um, I think it's restore the yeah restore the magic.com. and it's all of these weird ad like tweets that Nelson Peltz and his team are using that are basically like anytime any journalist says something flattering about Nelson Peltz and or supports the idea that maybe Disney should look into bringing in a new board member, he kind of just puts it in as a promoted tweet and it's like a weird screenshot from like a like a CNBC clip. It's 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 so strange. It's mm. so disorienting. And I noticed it and then my uh colleague at Puck, Matt Bellany, who does a really great newsletter about the entertainment industry as a whole, he kind of was like, Are you noticing these ads? And I was like, Yes, we are part of this group of targeted people who don't want to see these ads and are getting served them like every 10 ads that's that's, why, a whole, that's for a whole other podcast that's why they, Twitter ads they are terrible. they're targeting you though is that they they think you can get on board with them and put pressure on on disney i just love that disney actually responded to this and really just destroyed uh destroyed these arguments and said you you have no idea what you're talking about and it's it's like a total ego trip i mean again there are these investors who who you know, go on this ego trip. He has no experience in this industry whatsoever. But I mean, don't get between a really rich person uh, and a thing they think they know how to do, even if they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to say if the last few weeks of the tech and media industry have taught mm-hmm. us anything, but but mm-hmm. I I really. Uh, just want to say, and I don't know how this is going to go. I have an idea, but you know, never say that you know for sure it's going to happen because nobody ever does. Especially to Jason's very good point with something uh, like like Nelson Peltz and his campaign. But I'm just going to say, if you're coming for, you know, the expression is if you're coming for the king, you better not miss. And in the scenario, the king is Bob Iger, and he just returned basically after the board, you know, on all accounts seems to have like begged him to come back. Uh, if you come for the king, like you better not miss. Uh, and and it feels like. Nelson Peltz is just not batting anywhere close to 500. Um, but but who knows? Who knows? Money goes a long way. Yeah, it does. Um, okay, let's talk Oscars for a minute because every award show is an opportunity for us to talk about did streaming get involved? Yeah. And of course, the best picture last year was an Apple TV Plus original Coda. This year, a lot less... Apple, for example, only limited to a supporting actor nomination and an animated short nomination. Two pieces of work I uh, didn't know existed. Uh, and I'm an Apple TV Plus subscriber. Uh, but Netflix did get a Best Picture nominee and was one of the... It was All Quiet on the Western Front, which was a... I believe it's a German movie, but a Netflix movie. And it was second tied for second most overall Oscar nominations behind, of course... A24, your favorite, and everything everywhere all at once. Um, But still, uh, I I was surprised by this. I didn't even know that this was a a big contender, and it turns out that it's actually a pretty good day, I would say, for Netflix, thanks to All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, I think this is the year that Netflix kind of needed. When I, I was watching the nominations, 
at 8.30 in the morning, as I do every single year. And my partner, Kevin, was obviously, you know, with me kind of watching. And it was interesting because he pays attention to the stuff, but not really. And even he was like, this movie, like this Netflix movie keeps getting nominated. He was like, this, what a year for Netflix. And I think it's been a while since we've said that where Netflix has had a few nominations throughout the years, like always in some major categories, they tend to have an acting or they'll have a directing. But this really felt like a year that Netflix had a traditional you know, best picture frontrunner in the sense that there were, this movie was nominated in a number of different categories, a number of top tier categories. Yeah. It was the, the movie that was kind of top of mind. And what I will say about it is that Netflix kind of acted this year as the reminder that streaming can create these kind of top tier caliber films in the eyes of the Academy, at least. Because if we look at the best picture nominations and we look at the nominations in general, this year was one of the most accessible years. If you add up the collective box office results of all of the best picture nominees, it's the highest box office since 20, uh, sorry, in, th- in 13 years. So since 2010. Uh, and I, you know, and that was actually a year, I think as well, that you had a lot of avatar stuff probably because from 2009, so you had a lot of uh, visual effects stuff going in. Um, but when we look at it, this year, this really felt like the Academy's love letter in many ways to the idea of film, of the of traditional cinema, of go, especially with Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water, everything everywhere all at once. It was this, you know, Steven Spielberg. It's this idea of like, this is what cinema is, this is what right. cinema was. And Netflix was kind of this main competitor still that was like, yes, but we can do that too, even if the distribution has changed, even if audience demand for certain films has changed and how they are approaching where they watch films, we can be representative of this modern audience and i thought that was really key for them to kind of be standalone in that message yeah absolutely um have you watched it have you watched it yet i i i have not it's on my list yeah me see it's me too i was talking to some friends about it and i was like i don't know if i want to watch another another war movie uh but they said it's really good it is is an anti-war war movie which is uh uh, it's I'm I'm intrigued. I put it on my list. I, I'm going to say of the movies that I've seen, I'm going to be a weirdo mm-hmm. and say that um, my favorite of the best picture nominees, it's Elvis. Yeah. It's Elvis. You, my friend Frank said the exact same thing. And he turned to me this morning and he was like, you're going to be so upset when Austin. I haven't seen Elvis yet. It's one of the few ones I haven't seen. Ah. He's like, you're going to be so upset when Austin Butler beats out Brendan Fraser for best actor. Um, I mean, this is not a movie review podcast, but I'll just say like, I, and I'm not, I have, a, I have a friend who's a big Elvis, uh, Elvis aficionado. I am not that, but I, and I was really daunted cause I don't always like Bess Lerman, um, daunted by the runtime. Cause it's like a three hour Elvis movie. And you know, by the end of it, I was, and as I was watching it, I found it so engrossing that there are, there are several like montages where you go through a big chunk of Elvis's life and it is not dramatized except in a montage and as i was watching i was thinking i kind of want to see like i i wanted to be longer because i kind of wanted the the part that they did the shorthand on i was like well you could do a whole movie about that why don't you make that movie too anyway so like to take a three-hour movie and have me say i actually uh i could have taken more of it uh is pretty amazing and yeah it was thoroughly entertaining i i was very surprised by elvis there's a lot lot of good movies there i haven't seen avatar yet so i can't say about that 
Um, I liked everything everywhere all at once. I'm just, yeah. I always feel guilty about it because everybody loves it and thinks it was the absolute best. And I was like, it's, it was good. I like, I just didn't feel that feeling that everybody else seemed to feel. But um, anyway, I will just definitely check out, uh, I'm a Netflix subscriber. Why would I not check out Best Picture nominee, All Quiet on the Western Front? I'll do it. Sure. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. I'm gonna do Elvis on HBO Max, and I will say, congrats. Honestly, I mean, my my personal um, hopeful for the the Best Picture winner is Everything Everywhere because I, I loved it so much, and I am a massive A24 fan. A24 I literally fan, yeah. threw an A24 themed birthday party for 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 my birthday <laughs> a few weeks ago. So like that is who I am at my core. Um, so that's my that's my front runner. But I will say. I think, honestly, I'm going to be really honest. Congrats to Peacock for being the home of Tar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is a huge Best Picture nom. It's got a lot of people talking. It's focused features, uh, and it's going to go to Peacock. And I will say one of the Peacock's best strategies that they employed last year that we are going to see continue into this year, and I think really sets them apart, is the fact that the universe, the demand for Universal films has never been higher. I would actually argue that Universal has overtaken Walt Disney Animation uh, in terms of just the level of anticipation and the level of enjoyment that Universal animated films tend to bring people compared to a lot of the Disney animation stuff. And Universal had a big year with Nope. They had a big, which big Oscar snub. They had a big year with a bunch of other stuff. And then they had Focus and Focus has Tar. And so bringing all these movies into Peacock is a really great way to kind of set apart that streaming service and get people in the door. And once you're there, I think that library is actually pretty good. Um, yeah. But so congrats, congrats to, 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 to Peacock, Peacock for winning things. Tar. <laughs> and uh, and I, I am also probably going to watch Causeway, which is the movie oh, yes. on Apple TV Plus that I didn't even know existed, um, but got an Oscar nomination. So, you know, good for them. You know what I will say about the Oscars as it relates to streaming? This year they're doing it again. Um, it's March 11th, I think. March 11th. Last year or, or the year before. Yeah, last year. No, the year before that. Excuse me. The year before that because of COVID. It was like the end of March um, or whenever that one was. And everybody was like so upset about it in the industry. They were like, oh, the Oscars should be in February. First of all, everyone knows February belongs to the Super Bowl. Like even if it's early February, that's what people care about. But the idea was like, oh, we should do it in late February again. The nice thing about having them in March is that even when the, the traditional studios bring those movies back out to theaters or kind of um, stretch out the release dates as they get some Oscar attraction in it gives them enough time to still move those movies to streaming platforms so the last year and the year before there were a lot more people in middle america around the world that could watch a lot of these movies and actually have some anticipation for the best picture best actor best actress nominations and now i mean you kind of get that this year with top gun maverick and and all these other movies but like maverick is now on paramount plus if you haven't seen it you know elvis is on hbo max you haven't seen it tar is going to be on peacock next week it's this moment to kind of give audiences who are watching more movies at home the ability to connect more with the actual films that the that the academy is trying to celebrate instead of just you know san francisco los angeles and new york city so i think keep the oscars in March, let people have a chance to discover those movies at home or in theaters again, and then build up the kind of the anticipation for the awards through that emotional connection. All right. Um, congratulations to all the winners, I guess. I, you know, and and <laughs> I, I do use uh, Oscar nominations as a watch list to catch up on movies that I've mm-hmm. missed. So that's that's a good thing. All right, let's take a break for a second between topics so I can tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Snapstream. Does your business rely on making fair use TV recordings in order to get clips in this new age of streaming apps and over the top TV? Hey, that's us. How are your company's jury rigged recording techniques? 
going to hold up. Whether you need to send proofs to advertisers to make sure you get paid, or you need to build portfolios of talent your agency represents, getting clips of video content is vital to your business. Wouldn't you rather spend your time doing almost anything else than managing manual video recordings? Yes. Snapstream, the definitive live video clipping product, is here to help. Snapstream made its name as the product The Daily Show and other late-night shows used to record, transcribe, search, and quickly repurpose TV clips. And now Snapstream's source acquisition service assists companies in capturing hard-to-get sources of live and on-demand video delivered to your own Snapstream cloud instance. Difficult becomes easy when someone else is doing it for you. Let Snapstream take this one off your hands. Visit snapstream.com slash downstream today. You'll receive 10 free recording hours when your company signs up for an annual subscription with Snapstream Source Acquisition. That's snapstream.com slash downstream. The name of this podcast couldn't be easier. Go there now. Check it out. Thank you to Snapstream for their support of this show and Relay FM. Okay, we should talk about the big story, which is Reed Hastings, uh, co-founder and for mm-hmm. a very, very long time now, the co-CEO and then the co-CEO of Netflix, the business brain, the business twin, business buddy. Um, he is uh, leaving to an exalted position as like executive chairman. And Greg Peters from the bench at Netflix is taking his place as the business side of the brain of netflix so big big change um what do you think what what's going on here i would just like to point out that one this did not go super well for disney and two uh when bob Iger stepped aside to be executive chairman and then stepped aside entirely uh but two i did appreciate the um little jabs that kind of came at Disney from Netflix when this <laughs> happened. One of the smoothest succession plans that we've ever seen, yeah. you know, kind of all that. I think here, here's what I think. I think there's a great line in the earnings um, call where Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters, now both co-CEOs, talk about how one of Reed's greatest qualities is, qualities is that he's able to see around the corner, right? He's able to see what's going to happen. Um, a lot of people can take that as a sign of fear because he's leaving. Uh, so what what is, you know, what is Reed seeing? But I think it's this moment of if Mark Randolph, right, the first CEO of Netflix, represented that moment of, of innovation and Reed Hastings represented the moment of scalability, right? The moment of Netflix becoming this power player and this and this transitioning force from DVD and analog in many ways into kind of this huge digital presence in our lives. I think having Gra- I mean, having Ted first as a co CEO in 2020, and then moving into or 2021, and then having um, Greg come in now represents that this is the newest moment for Netflix. And this new moment of Netflix is something that requires a lot more client partnership. It requires a lot more ad understanding. It requires a lot more innovation beyond entertainment. It it, it requires a level of being able to take those steps and dedicate the energy required to get into gaming and to get into fitness and to determine how you get into fast free ad supported uh, television as um, Ted Serrano has hinted at. And I think it's a moment of Reed Hastings saying, that's not my battle. Like, that's mm. not something I want to do. I've already done it. I got us to this point. He's getting older. And I think he kind of looks around and he's like, "That's Netflix is going to enter its new era. It's going to be an uphill fight for Netflix for a little bit until they kind of hit that second or third or fourth point for them again. And I think he goes, Greg's the right guy to kind of be the left 
uh, or, or sorry, the right-sided brain in this equation to Ted's left-sided brain. And as long as I feel like Greg's in a comfortable position, which is potential, I'm sure potentially why he's sticking on as chairman, then we're in a really good place, but I don't want to lead that charge. So I think it's, I, I honestly think it's a positive sign. I think Reed Hastings feels like his time at Netflix, the Netflix he helped build is over in many ways. And it's on, not that it's in a bad way, but like that era is done and now it's a new era and he doesn't want to have to charge into that position. I get it. How about you? What's, what's your thoughts? These guys, well, these guys all at this level are, it's the great contrast, right? Which is they're all type A workaholics. Yeah. And they all have, and covering Apple for a living, you know, it's the same story there. People who, they have more money than, than God, right? They, they've been at, at these companies so long that their salaries and their stock options, they've made a fortune. They don't need to work again, but they're also obsessed and workaholics. So some of them do leave, right? Some of them are like, you know what? I'm going to have a hobby. <laughs> I'm going to play golf. I'm going to race speedboats. I'm going to, you know, buy an island and, and probably play golf or tennis or something. But that's what they're going to do. Uh, but it's it's a challenge because a lot of them are just like, well, no, I want to I want to keep my my hand in the game. And so when I look at a move like this, yeah, it could be um, Reed Hastings saying, I don't want to I don't want to fight the next battle. I don't have the energy. I don't have it in the tank, which is what the prime minister of New Zealand said when she <laughs> resigned. Right. It's like I just don't I look at what's ahead of me and I, I just don't have the, the energy for right. it. I don't have the fuel in the tank. It could be that he's like um, he he looks at Disney. And he says, I want a better transition and I'm not going to be here forever. And I don't right. want to lose this talented person in this moment where things could be shifting in lots of places in the media industry. Maybe I want to keep Greg Peters, who I promised my job to a few years ago or whatever. Right. That could be part of it, too. Right. But I think it's I think it's not unreasonable. Like these people are human beings. They they have a finite amount of time on the planet. They need to. Um, and they've got that money. And if one of them wants to say, I need a more reasonable, I mean, he's still going to be executive chairman. He's still going to be around, but like, I want a more reasonable life, uh, after taking this company to the heights, who are we? I mean, that seems, that actually seems really healthy to me. Um, I think Bob Iger not wanting to go out of Disney kicking and screaming and then plotting his return. That seems unhealthy to me. Yeah. And and I also think there's this, there's all these questions about what is Netflix without Reed. And I think if you actually take a second and look at the financials, there's a lot that Netflix needs to work on. And there's a lot that Netflix is actually in a pretty good position on. So if we think about it, you know, subscriber growth is kind of flat year over year, right? So that's not super great. Um, But if we look at their projected financials going to 2023 and 2024, they're saying that they're going to have $3 billion worth of free cash flow. They're, they don't have any debt maturity in 2023. And then they have a fixed rate debt maturity of 400 million in 2024, which I'm sure they will be absolutely fine to repay. And if you got, and if you kind of look at its at their competitors, right? You've got Warner Brothers Discovery who can barely innovate because they're so saddled with principal finance repayments and principal debt repayments that they don't even know where to start because they have to look at that. So they have to kind of contract a little bit. You look at Disney, they're staring down the barrel of a nine billion dollar deal at minimum to uh, Comcast starting next year, which they're going to take on additional debt for. And their linear businesses is suffering a little bit. And the parks are doing great, but they've got some business stuff that they have to worry about. You look at Comcast, which has its own debt, NBC Universal is trying to figure out 
how to monetize a declining linear business and how to really grow and scale its streaming business. That seems to have only just picked up. And especially when so much of that is required on sports rights and the, the, the cost of sports rights are increasing and, and churn across the industry is, is going to grow in 2023. So all these businesses are barely stable. If you take all that into account and you look at Netflix and they're saying, not only are we going to have $3 billion worth of free cash flow on top of profit on our streaming business solely in 2023, but we actually don't have any more debt maturities that we have to pay off over the next two fiscal years. Like there's a really strong moment for Netflix to say, all the stuff that we want to do, we can actually afford to do yeah. unlike any of our competitors. If you're Reed Hastings, that's kind of your moment to go, all right, like they're good. Like like they're they're not necessarily bogged down by what 2020, early 2022, mid 2022 was, you know, what what uh, late 2021 was when all of the pull forwards effect really came in, started started to appear on the balance sheet. When we look at that, and then we take into account what Netflix wants to do. What did Reed do with all the new initiatives? He put Greg in charge of it. So Greg is overseeing ads. Greg was overseeing games. Greg was overseeing the idea of doing fitness and alongside Ted. And Ted has been doing what he's been doing for, you know, more than a decade at this point. He's the guy who understands it. And what does Ted do? He make, he elevates Bella Bajaria. He has makes sure that Scott Stuber, his, his uh, film chief, is really happy. And so you're in a position where it almost feels like, cool, kids are in college. I feel like I can trust them to do their own thing. They can call me if they need be uh, on their new iPhones that I'm going to leave for them or whatever it might be. They're, they're connected to my, like, I still know what's going on. I can still keep an eye on their credit card bills, but they're actually not something that I have to worry about as much as I did. And so now's a good time for me to leave without having to worry about what my legacy is. Not that I think he worried about that as much as Bob Iger did uh, and Bob Iger does. But if you look at how he trained Greg Peters in this one business versus how Iger had little time and huge conflict in training Bob Chapek, it feels like two different scenarios at two very different businesses. Yeah. For sure. Well, um, Netflix, it's funny because Netflix's results were the one, the thing that sort of triggered this whole cascade of madness in uh, streaming. And then here we are at the point where um, Netflix is looking pretty solid. So I would like to point out that I have been a Netflix bull and I say that term not as financial advice. Please don't take financial advice from the show. No, no. no, no. Disclaimer. Please don't use any of that. Um, but I, I have been bullish on Netflix for a very long time. I think that they're a smart group of people led by a very smart leader. And I think Greg has had a mentor in Reed that goes a really long way in the way that in a way that if I had to compare any of it to Disney, it would not be Bob Chapek and Bob Iger. It would be Bob Iger and Kevin Mayer. It would be, you know, two people who worked closely together for years right, and right. kind of understand what that what that joint business that they're working towards represents. Uh, and, and Jason, I'm just going to make one more comment. I think we haven't really dug into the earnings call and, and we could do a whole two hour episode on, on Netflix earnings every three months if we wanted to. But there was a part within that call when they were asked, uh, Greg and, and Ted were asked, how do, are you planning on, you know, growing subscribers in a saturated market and combating churn and yada, yada, yada. And I thought it was a really interesting answer from Ted Sarandos, who said the way we do that is by having a Wednesday every week. We have a Wednesday every week. We have a, a glass onion every week. And the reason I think that's interesting is because it speaks to a lot of unsaid answers. So one, 
the fact that they're not necessarily increasing spending on content in 2023, they actually decreased spending on content in 2022 by about 5%. They spent about $16.8 billion on content in 2022 and just over $17 billion on content in 2021. It looks like they're going to kind of keep it level in 2023. So they're not increasing content spend, which is great. But if in order to have a Wednesday or a glass onion every week, what that says to me is that you're so reliant on new programming, you're so reliant on having this never-ending constant string of global hits that a lot of your other previous bets are not necessarily paying off. So one, we know that international is hard for them. We know that they're really great at creating local hits. Ted Sarando said this as much, but now they're actually backtracking on their idea of, well, we can have a squid game every quarter. Now he's saying we might not be able to do that. And I think that speaks to a big pivot in Netflix's international plans that we doesn't really get a lot of attention, but should. Two, I think there is this idea, there was this idea that Netflix spending, you know, more than $80 billion on original content since 2013 would create a library that could then keep people retained. People were coming in and finding those older titles. Now, Ted Sarandos on the call said that people, you know, millions of people were still watching Bird Box every week. And that's kind of the only hint we got. But from a television standpoint, are any of those shows actually retaining customers? If you think about HBO Max, you know, Last of Us brings people in every week or Succession might do that every week. But then Monday through Saturday, people are watching Friends and the Big Bang Theory and, you know, uh, all these other shows. And, that, and David Zaslav is doubling down on this bet by bringing Discovery content in. You know, FX chief John Landgraf said that 30% of all viewing was active. So that's kind of those Wednesdays, right? Like that's Wednesday Stranger Things. So it brings people in. And 70% of viewing in the U.S. is passive. And that's your Discovery unscripted programming. It's your, you know, Hulu, Netflix, general entertainment programming potentially. But if Netflix is saying we need a Wednesday every single week, what is the value on that $80 billion for the content? How much of it is actually increasing in value versus how much is decreasing in value? Which led to the third part, which someone said, you know, in a Bloomberg interview, Lucas Shaw, brilliant reporter, asked Ted Sarandos, would you ever license your content out? This is something that downstream listeners and I talk about all the time. And Ted Sarando said, we don't really see any meaningful revenue there. Now, that could be potentially because those shows just don't have enough value outside of what Netflix, you know, could bring to to different potential partners. That could be because those titles, you know, boring reason, those titles aren't fully amortized. So you actually, you're still paying for them and you're going to license them out. You're not going to get what you need on them. Or it could be that Netflix really doesn't view itself as a traditional studio and, and therefore is going to distribute any of its content. But he did say that they were looking or exploring, you know, getting into free advertising has been supported television, something me and many analysts have said they should do for years. So there is this idea that they are going to further monetize that content beyond pure subscription and retention, which is how SVODs have always worked. And so I do think we get a lot of focus on the succession plans because succession is a, a very good show and b a very fun topic to talk about. But this was actually a really interesting earning season as we get that idea of what the pivot beyond Reed Hastings and into this new era of Netflix looks like. So I just wanted to touch upon some of the stuff that I pulled out of a really interesting earnings report and earnings call. Great. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, um, yeah, you you made a Twitter comment that I thought was really great, which is the, you know, we, we want every week to be the big Wednesday. Um, and you said, well, you know, you could release things weekly. Um, uh, that made me laugh too. <laughs> <laughs> like a movie. Yeah, I got a I got a solution for you. What if you didn't drop everything in like eight episodes at once and instead rolled it out over eight weeks? But one of my friends on Twitter, Emily Horgan, who is a very brilliant um, thinker, she's I think she's a consultant now. Um, she used to work at Disney for a while, 
she replied to that Twitter thread and said, has anyone pointed out that Netflix already has a Wednesday every week because mm. it's literally the name of a day it's, every well, week? There you go. And that's I thought, right. you know, that's a great there, joke. There is a Wednesday every that. week after all. There is. <laughs> all right. We have uh, been uh, remiss in answering our uh, letters. So I'm going to blast through a bunch of letters now. How about that? Feeling good? Let's do it. I love it. I love letters. All right. Nougat Machine wants to ask us, have you ever used a streaming service with a user experience or interface that you would consider good? In quotes. <laughs> uh, oh. mm. The closest I've gotten, it's not good. I, the closest I've gotten, which is like not bad. So if it's just under good or meh, right? Like I don't really have an opinion one way or another. It's meh. YouTube TV. Like I like YouTube TV's interface. Like I don't, I don't right. really mind it. Um, but how about you, Jason? Because you use a few different ones. I mean, what I I think what I want to say is no. <laughs> um, there are aspects, and the truth is, there are aspects about lots of these interfaces that I do like, and I know it when I see it. When I'll be using one, and I'll be like, "Oh, I like this," or you know, I'll get to one where you have to scroll right through like 50 episodes to get to the one you're looking at. Not so good, right? Like not so good. Um, so I don't think anyone has made me feel like they, um, like they've nailed it. And I'm an Apple TV user, so I'm using their TV apps. Um, I think on something like an iPhone or an iPad or something like that, that the, or their web interface, the standards are different. I always find that a lot of the apps, you end up in this weird situation where you're like, how do I get out of here? Uh, how do I get back to where I was before? And and uh, and then, of course, the big uh, thing that offends me about so many of these apps is they try very hard to show me things I don't want to see, but hide the things I do want to see. And that's the worst offense. I get why they do it. They're wanting to increase discoverability. But the number one thing I want to discover is the shows I've been watching or the shows <laughs> that I've marked as ones I want to watch. Please let me see those. And a lot of apps kind of fail at that. I, I had this. I was trying to watch. I missed the... Um, soccer. I missed the Arsenal uh, Man United soccer game on Sunday, um, and I uh, and I at at between the the NFL playoff games when I got home, I watched the highlights on Peacock. And Peacock has a very nice because NBC has the mm-hmm. has the Premier League. Uh, they have a very nice highlight package that they do of every match, where it's basically ten minutes of all of the key moments in the match. And I watched that so I could enjoy watching Arsenal beat Man U because I enjoyed that. <laughs> very much um and i i was impressed with that once i got there but a couple of things like first off it was hard to find and it was unclear whether you were clicking on to to watch like a replay of the whole match or whether the highlights were there even though i think i think you could do both but i ended up finally getting the highlights because i know they do the highlight package and then the other thing that bothered me is the way that at least on the apple tv peacock works when you want to go into like press the button to fast forward a little bit it brings up this huge overlay like the all of the interface reappears it's like no 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 just jump forward and keep playing video but instead it jumps forward and then you have to sit there for like 15 seconds and wait for the interface to disappear which is like you know so on one level you're you you've built this great content where you've got the cut down soccer matches for fans who miss the game to watch but then you can't find it and when you do find it you can't easily navigate inside it it's like that I, that feels like every streaming experience to me at this point um although i'll also say i think hbo max at least the the new version of their app that they built uh actually is pretty good again nobody's perfect but um 
Uh, but boy, I, I, I wish, right? I think, I think we may never get to the point where any of them is what we would consider good because the needs of the consumer are not always yeah. the priority of the service. The service wants to stick all that other stuff in our faces, and that's not how we would choose to use it. But they know that the way they do it increases engagement, and it's like they're they're tricking us. Yes, they are, but that's just that's how it works. That's how the game is played, unfortunately. I was going to add a comment to that, but it actually parlays into a, our next question. So I'm going to save it. Oh, okay. Well, question. Matt wrote in and said, you can make one rule that all streaming services must adhere to into their in their apps. What rule do you write? This answer, Matt, is going to change every single hour for me, depending on my <laughs> grievance at the time. But in this moment, because I've just been thinking about it, because it happened to me two nights ago. What what is today? Tuesday. When was football Sunday? Yep, that's right. <laughs> two nights ago, two nights ago, or three nights ago. Whenever, whenever it was, I was on an app, and I think I might have been maybe in different things. I think it was, I think it was Peacock. I can't remember what it was. I was on an app, and I uh, there was a commercial, and I paused the the commercial for some reason. I don't know why I wasn't thinking. I pressed pause, and when I paused, not only did the commercial pause, another commercial that was like a QR app played on top. Like it it sat on oh, top no. of that paused commercial. You commercial and incepted thought, yourself. It was a commercial inception. And I was like, how? They've literally planned for every moment because who pauses during a a commercial? No one. No one. (laughs) I got to get back to this commercial in a minute. Yeah. Nobody's like, oh, I'm going to actually pause this commercial. It's somebody who's not thinking and is like holding the Apple TV remote and is like, oh, I'm just hitting this pause button by accident. Or you accidentally hit the remote. And then they put a commercial on top of that. And on the one hand, the business development professional in me is like that's amazing like they have literally planned an ad for every single human activity someone could do but the consumer in me is like no like i'm not gonna scan that qr code then go back to this other commercial just to get to the thing i'm trying to watch so i would say my one rule no qr code commercials inceptioning other commercials Okay. My one That's rule. very specific. I would go Thank with a you. broader rule if I had this power. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to have, I'm going to propose two rules and everybody, I can let the legislature figure out which one they want to pass. One of them is uh, on the home, on the launch screen of the app, you must display visibly above the, above the scroll fold of the interface a mm-hmm. uh, the options to continue watching programs that are all, that I have been watching and that I'm in the middle of and you must display um my wish list or starred list or whatever you want to call it I mm-hmm. I, I don't want to go find them yeah. so that's I'm going to say that's the law that's a good like one. if I've left a show in progress and then related to that I'm going to also say um a rule that detects that if I've left if I finished watching an episode um to the beginning of the credits and I leave that episode, it must be marked as read, you know, marked as viewed. Do not, do not say, Hey, have, would you like to, you left off in the middle of the credits of the last of us. Would you like to continue? The answer is no. When I leave the credits, that means I'm done. Please don't show me. Oh, there's a new episode of no. It's just the credits from last week. Don't or or worse, if it's something that is already collected and I I want to watch episode five and I finished episode four and they're like, oh, Reservation Dogs, you are watching in the middle of the credits of Reservation Dogs season one, episode four. And I'm like, I'm really not. I'm at the start of episode five, please. That that would be a let's make that a law. That should be a law. I I like both of these. I, I will say um 
because Jason's are very well thought out and good, that <laughs> mine comes from a place of true grievance that I, that does not make a lot of sense in the broader scale of things. But um, this is like misusing uh, one of your three wishes. And and I'm going to misuse it. I just want to put that out there that right. I know it's not the best rule, but it is it is something that has been on my in hey, my mind. It's you're scratching the itch that's <laughs> it, that's itching you right now. I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> Sam writes in. These are amazing. What one feature do you want added to every streaming service? Oh, one feature. I, I, I'm going to go back to a previous letter and say, you know, the feature I'd like on every streaming service other than visibly uh, my list and uh, and my c- continue watchings being at the top of the page so I can find them. Um, but my number one uh, feature would be uh, playlists like uh, like we talked about the idea that I would like I would like social features in general so that people yeah. could share playlists. But I definitely want the idea. I love the idea of either curated playlists from the service or from other people or my ability to say, here are the next 15 you know, episodes of various things and, and set it up to go so that I can just literally go play my playlist and it's going to take one off the top and show it to me. And when that one's done, it's going to move on to the next one so that I can, even if, you know, I know they're not, you're not always watching on the same streaming service, but sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm watching like three different things on Hulu and i'd like to be able to say hey hulu play me one of those then one of those then one of those because i'd rather like slow play them all out instead of just run- watching them one after another so something about about playlists and social sharing and curation i'll roll them all together and say playlists what about you yeah mine was going to be a variation of that but to add so i i agree like i really just want to be able to create a cue for myself and then yeah. not have to think about it but yeah. and then also a cue of like randomized stuff as well like i know i'm going to want to watch like right. an episode like of Roseanne, a, like a smart episode like of- a smart cue i mean this is right. i have the, i have the app i have the app channels which is getchannels.com i want to say and it's like it's a whole thing it's like it's a dvr that runs on a server in your house and uh you can get antenna tv in it and you can get cable box tv in it and you can even get over streaming tv in it and it will dvr things locally and it's it's a whole thing um but it has this other wild feature which is you i can point it at my plex library and say like make a channel a fake channel but a virtual channel that is you know just episodes of mash randomly from my plex library or is news radio followed by mash followed by the office uh and then and then like they're all it's so great right because it's like take things i love and of course that's for people who've got episodes on their hard drive and stuff like that but imagine that in a streaming service i know we talked about this before but imagine that of saying look here are these four comfort sitcoms um shuffle them all yeah when I press this button that is, I, I hate the world and need to be happier and you will play my comfort sitcoms for me and I have to do nothing else. That would be such a great feature. Yeah. Yeah. So I, a hundred percent, everything Jason's saying is exactly what I want. Um, and, and wait, he's, he's saying it way better than I ever could. Uh, the, what I'll, what I'll add to it is I really like the idea of, curating you'd have to hire a form of a team for this but curating um additional things to watch in app that are not from that app so if i finished watching 
um, a new Netflix show, and there's some really good video essays on that from YouTube. And I would oh, yeah. love if Netflix was like, here's three really interesting video essays on a character, or things you missed, or whatever it is from like really cool creators that I seek out on YouTube anyway. Um, if they were able to kind of bring some of those into the app and then create that as like mm-hmm. a, hey, if you finish watching this, there's some additional really low lift, entertaining videos for you to watch to go dive deeper into it instead of just having to watch another show or behind the scenes. I'd be really into that component as well. I can't believe that streaming services haven't gone to creators on YouTube who do things about their who engage in their content and said, let's pay you to do that in our app. Right. Like and I know like that's not quite the same as saying we're going to open the Netflix app up to anybody. That's not what they're saying. But it's like if you find a creator who's super engaged with, you know, Wednesday and and they're posting on YouTube um why wouldn't you go to them and say we'd like to buy your Wednesday content and make it a, an extra this also goes to our complaint that we've had about not enough good extras on shows right but like yes. fan content like not everybody's going to not everybody's going to be like Paramount Plus and produce their Star Trek after show right that, that there are some and HBO Max has done that uh, HBO especially with a lot of their shows uh like Last Netflix of Us Netflix does it yeah sure but like you got all this fan content that's good, like fan content. We say fan content. A lot of the stuff is like broadcast quality stuff. It's the creators on YouTube are incredibly, some of them are of an amazing quality and they're engaging and with it, your content. Why would you not find a way to, to take that out of YouTube or like leave it on YouTube, but like also put it in your app so people don't have to ever have to leave your app. Right. Isn't that the goal? Well, yeah. And I think too, there's a difference. I mean, I, when I used to cover the creator space and I talked to a lot of creators there, this is a huge thing. And you, and people who, you know, are, are listen to this podcast know this as well. There's a huge difference in authenticity of a cre- independent creator. And then like, somebody you know like netflix doing a, a playing a game with the stra- playing a dungeons and dragons around with the stranger things cast or doing right. something like it feels very corporate and it's it's designed yeah. to like it's netflix doing pr stuff in a really fun way but there's a difference between that and a creator coming out and being like hey here's a really informative fun you know very youtube stylistic essay about this thing that gets into the heart of a question or a theme that i want to talk about at length that isn't coming from netflix and, and i think that's really important or hbo or whoever right. i think that's that's key to those essays really working well and i think if i was in charge of that division and i was finding ways to kind of increase the engagement and, and the affinity with those shows and the admiration it would not even necessarily be like I, you're going to make this video for YouTube, for Netflix, which they've done, by the way. Netflix has gone out to different YouTubers and been like, hey, can you make a video for us? And we're going to put it on our feed. But it's like, hey, we really like this video. We would love to offer it on our service and give you a payment for it. And we'll also host it in here so you get additional, you know, like followings that way. And we, we're not going to do anything to the video. We just really want to host it. We think it's great. And like you can specifically curate it for what you're trying to do. I don't think it's like trying to compete with YouTube and Netflix has their own channel, but it's very much like, hey, offer people more within app that's from out of app that just leans into the fandom side i see the content challenges here because the people who are creating these videos want to be able to say what they want to say and the people on the inside at a place like netflix are going to be like we we have guidelines about what your content should be exactly and that there's a there's a real disconnect there but i would argue um that corporations like streaming services who are so concerned about completely controlling all the messaging and conversation that exists on their platforms need to get over it. That, yeah. that 
allowing a person who is not going to love everything about your show, but loves your show and is super engaged with it, allowing them in to your app, even if they do some criticism of some of your content or, or react to it in a way that doesn't make you comfortable. That's not part of your talking points for your PR about it. Like the benefit you get is that this person is an authentic voice. And if I think you should choose the authentic voice instead of the PR talking points, because that will, I agree. you know, that's, that's VAM, that's value added content from a, a DVD extra. And, you know, that has its place, but it doesn't give you the power of the authentic voice of a fan. And you just can't micromanage them. You just have to say, Hey, this is the fan content. They're going to say what they want. And that's, and it's all understood. But I think that even some very cutting edge corporations, uh, when it comes down to it, are afraid to, to let other people onto their platforms who might have opinions that are not approved by the marketing department. And they should, they should let them on because it's a net benefit, but I know why they don't. What we're saying is that hire Jason and I are joking, oh my God. But, but we do. Ugh. But these are some ideas that really, I think, you know, I was tweeting about this yesterday. I was saying, you know, why does Netflix have to do all these things at once? And and Rich Greenfield, who's a really interesting analyst, pointed out, well, it's, you know, their their view time would go down considerably. And on the one hand, I get where he's coming from. He's not wrong. And it's important for the advertising. But on the other hand, it's like, there are other low cost measures to increase engagement that is value adding, that is not come at the expense of a Wednesday or a Stranger Things every week. And and it's just finding ways to lean into areas of interesting, you know, the most important thing at the end of the day for all these streaming services is having entertaining content. You're, you're when you're when you're fighting with YouTube, you're not fighting a free platform per se. You're not fighting a creator first platform per se. You're fighting with a platform that offers an endless amount of entertaining content for any interest that you can think about. And if you can take some of those interests and combine them in really thoughtful ways with your own programming, you're going to increase your engagement time. You're going to increase the adoration. You're going to increase the amount of young and older viewers who are now watching other forms of content because it's within the Netflix app. They're not leaving the app. And then you can run your own advertising on it. You can, because you're curating it, because you're picking it, you can run your white label advertising and then it increases other stuff on YouTube if you want to point people towards YouTube. And I just think there's a way to do that, um, that we are not seeing. And it feels, to your point, Jason, earlier, it feels really weird that it it's taken this long to just not integrated. And I'm sure that there are answers as to why I'm, I'm never I'm, someone yeah. who's like, we figured it out and they yeah. didn't figure it out. But. It's not, it's not easy. It's just, that no. it's, it's, it seems like it's doable and worth it, but you would have to make an effort. I, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, Oh, just do this. It's simple. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I, I get that. It's not simple, but there's a lot of potential here. If you want to be like, you're technically your video on the internet, right? Like you're, that's what you are. Don't act like you're some sort of like unassailable box that lives completely separate from the internet in a special world. Like, no, you're you actually host video this on podcast the, on your platform. Right? You're actually just video on the internet and uh, just like all the rest and uh, embrace it and you'll find value in it. Um, this is from Zach. A big benefit of the streaming era is that folks can subscribe and cancel services they don't use whenever they want. But how often are people actually cycling services? I know I'm probably weird for just always subscribing to everything, so I don't know how common I do that too, Zach. Uh, how common it is really for people to turn services on and off month to month? So this is a churn question. How mm -hmm. common is churn? 
It depends on the age group. Uh, so unsurprisingly, people who are above the age of 50 tend to not cancel very much. They're much harder to get onto apps, although they are the fastest, uh, I guess, switching group. If you look at 2021 to 2022 data, uh, older groups are the highest representation of new subscribers to streaming services. This isn't too surprising. Cord cutting comes for uh, us all and young people are signing up for streaming first. They're not signing up for cable. So therefore, the only people who are left to be signing up for stuff are other generations. But they don't cancel. Um, if you look at Gen Z, if you look at kind of this and even Gen, um, the, 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 the kind of beginnings of Gen Alpha, uh, the ones who are kind of, let's say, 16, 17, who might have their own cards and are signing up for stuff to, you know, 27, 28, they are huge. They're huge monthly churn. And we call them churn and return. They're huge right. monthly uh, switch. Uh, they, they switch every single month. And what they do, and they're hyper aware of it, is they track what's going on, right? So if they're like, I want to watch the show on Netflix, they go to Netflix for the month. And then I want to watch the show on HBO Max, they go to HBO Max for the month. And so they're kind of going back and forth. This is why you hear a lot, Zach, about... Um, companies debating whether to do a annual lock-in but instead of what they do is what you've already seen is the it's cheaper to go annually it's like you save like 30 percent if you go annually because then they they lessen their amount of churn but typically it's the youngest group that is going back and forth quite heavily the the question now that a lot of um statisticians have is do you then see that level out as they get older and tend to earn more money and therefore kind of will go and spend more on the annual upfront as to have the savings? Or do you see more churn and return increase throughout the age demographics as they get older and they bring those behaviors into their new demographics? So it's it's an interesting question and one that we're not going to have answers for for another six, seven mm. years. Um, but but we do see uh, the lower you go in the age group, the more prominent that you see those churn and return. You're seeing it about... 30% on average. All right, Zach, I guess that means you're old. Sorry. <laughs> Bad news. <laughs> um, one last uh, note. This is from John, uh, keeping us informed about pluses, plus key plus content here. There's a new plus Excellent. TSN plus. Uh, I don't quite know what this is, but as a fellow Canadian, I need to know where it lands on Julia's ranking of pluses. I don't know if Jason will have an opinion. Love to your mothers. Thank you, John. So TSN is the ESPN of Canada. Uh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever called them, even though that's well, what they are. I mean, no that is what they are, right? <laughs> the rebroadcaster of many ESPN programs <laughs> and many American programs in Canada and also some of their own. And they have a new direct-to-consumer streaming service with access to, uh, as they put it, sporting games, okay, matches and events, along with sports series and documentaries. So uh, excited, not excited, uh, can little Canadian homegrown streaming plus all of its own. Okay, let's let's rank it. I'm gonna rank. I'm gonna give my letter, then you give your letter. Ready? Okay. My letter, A being high, F being low. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what in what other world that would work, but but that's the ranking. Uh, TSN Plus. It gets a big D from me for two reasons. One, what is TSN Plus? I assume it's more like an ESPN Plus, and because mm -hmm. of that reason. I don't like ESPN. What did I give ESPN Plus on our rankings? One, <laughs> whenever I gave ESPN Plus, it, it just gets put in there, just that. aliased in there. Yeah, it gets an E. E for ESPN Plus uh, okay. copycat, and I don't remember what I gave it. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree with whatever that is. It, it seems like it's the same thing, <laughs> where it is an additive thing that is like not going to get you anything that's actually on TSN. It's just going to get you extra stuff like golf and the XFL <laughs> and uh, whatever. Uh, so I think, sorry, Canada. Jason, I, I, I need... 
the master of ceremonies decision on this because I like what John said about there's a new plus. And I like what you said about how we're keeping abreast of all the plus news in the world. What if we refer to our letter section as downstream plus? The plus side of downstream. I want to. I want to hold on to downstream because what if we what if we launch a oh, uh, special yeah. membership thing and we have an extra segment in every episode? This is true. Wouldn't this that be true. downstream plus, or would we have to come this... up with d- downstream like plus plus? That's downstream max. <laughs> oh my god! Well, we're let, let's just okay. I gotta. I'm gonna need two weeks to process that idea. I'm thinking about it. We'll we'll uh, report back in two weeks. Uh, but if you have a question for us, the absolute best way, and all of these, I believe, came from there this time, uh, go to relay.fm slash downstream slash feedback. Or if you go to just slash downstream, there's a feedback link there. You get a little feedback form that goes directly into the content system, and that's where I get it. It's great. Um, if you don't want to do that, you can email downstream at relay.fm or use question mark ask downstream in the Relay FM members discord. Love to your mothers, no matter how you send it in, but try relay.fm slash downstream slash feedback. You can find Julia at loudmouthjulia on Twitter and at parrotanalytics.com. And of course, her columns at puck.news, um, including what is it? What I'm hearing plus is the name of your uh, newsletter column. It makes me yeah. laugh. Yeah, that's a plus. Yeah. You've got your own plus. I know. It's, it, there's so many pluses. I, I want our readers, uh, readers, oh my gosh, yeah, sure. too many things. People who are reading this, I want yeah. our listeners to chime in because there's reports, you know, we talked about this in a few, a few weeks ago that, uh, HBO Max might just become Max. There's a rumor now. Would you rather, listeners, subscribe to something just called Max or something just called Plus? Yeah. Maybe which Peacock. One, which maybe one? Peacock could become Plus. Just plus. Yeah. Plus what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't, no, you don't need to know about it. It stands for something. It stands for like Peacock loves the United States or something. I don't know. And, oh, and I just want to, I don't want to end necessarily on a somber note, but I am aware that a lot of our listeners um, who are big fans of Jason and are hopefully new fans of mine um, probably either work or know a lot of people who work in media and technology sectors. And it's been a really rough few weeks um, across all these different companies. And so especially today, I'm seeing, you know, big layoffs at Washington Post. And I just want to say if anybody personally or knows people who are affected by the layoffs, it never gets any easier. And I just wanted to send some love out there because as someone who's been through it, you know, Mm -hmm. Jason's been through it. It's it never it always sucks. So just wanted to send out some love. It's the worst. It's absolutely the worst. You can find me at sixcolors.com. And I have other podcasts here at RelayFM and TheIncomparable.com. Um, and I also hang out in that members discord. If you want to uh, become a member of Relay and support us, you can go to relay.fm slash downstream. I don't have anything to actually, you know, uh, announce about anything that might be downstream plus or downstream max. We haven't figured that out yet, but but maybe someday. Um, but until next time in two weeks when we're back here to do this again, Julia, thank you as always. Take it easy, guys. <laughs>